Wednesday. The wind was cold, but at least it wasn't raining. I put my bike against the wall, locked it, and rang the bell at Francis's house. Welcome, Rob. I was a bit concerned that you would not make it. I'm sorry for being late. The children and the wind held me back. No worries. Just come in and warm up. The others are already here. Thanks, Francis. This is Rob. He works for the Christchurch University of Technology. This is Peter, Lucia, Samuel, and Roman. Hey, Rob. You found it all right? Roman was a slender, black-haired man with a friendly smile. Yes, it was just the wind and the children. Sorry to make you wait. Oh, don't sweat it. Uh, We were just discussing the latest sets that are uh, going to be released. I had my eye on those new Arctic sets. It's been a while since they had that product line in their stores. Must have been in 2000. I still have the whole series from back then. Samuel was a bit younger, and with his brown hair and eyes, he gave a very welcoming impression. Maybe we should do a quick round of introductions. I can make a start. I'm Francis, and I have collected Lego for the last 40 years or so. I have a good collection, and I have a special interest in Technic and trains. Well, I'm Roman, and I collect uh, space, castle, pirates, and some other things. I also create mocks. As most of you probably know, mock stands for my own creation. Models that do not come in a box, but that you can create yourself. I have a few mocks as well. Uh, Maybe it's my turn now. I'm Peter. I collect Technic. I have most of the set. Peter's hair was already grey, but still full. He wore glasses and a full moustache decorated his upper lip. Do you really mean all of them? There are a few odd ones, but yes, I should have them all. (gasps) My name is Lucia, and I collect architecture, and I also create mocks. Lucia had spoken with a soft voice while her black hair and almond eyes remained mysterious. I'm last then, again. So, I'm Rob, and I do have some Lego, but not very much. I recently came out of my dark age. I used to like Technic and I bought some Star Wars sets when they came out. Now I'm buying sets for my daughters. All right then. Have you all seen my Lego rooms? Not me! Do you want a quick tour? Everybody nodded and Francis took us around the house. We shared memories of the old sets that were on display and commented on some special parts that the models contained. There was an immediate connection between us, and the love for the brick was an easy topic of the evening. I felt accepted and understood, and so did the others. Instead of the usual refutation, there was curiosity and a feeling of belonging. We ended the tour back in the living room. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been wonderful discussing the latest brick developments, but there is something that Rob and I have been thinking about that we would like to share with you. Rob... Would you care to explain? Uh, sure. Well, well, you see, all of you have these wonderful collections and mocks. Would it not be great to share them with a larger audience? We could put a show together. Where would we do that? Well, the university probably has a couple of large rooms. I could ask around and see what's available. The university should also have tables and chairs, I assume. That might be possible, but... How will the people know about the event? There's a children's festival all over town in the winter, sponsored by the City Council. They'll print a brochure that's distributed to all the schools. 
It would be good to do it in the winter anyway, because then we won't have to compete with the weather. Parents would be thrilled to have something to do with their children during the winter school holidays. What would you be able to show? I could easily fill eight tables with my Technic collection, but I'm not sure if I would want to display them in public. My colleagues might come by and see them with the collection. They would make fun of me for months to come. Maybe you could think about it. Could you at least allow us to set up your collection at the show? You wouldn't know how all these sets come together. If nobody is attending the display, then some models might also get broken or taken. I understand your concerns. I, I don't have a good answer, but I promise to think about a solution. And maybe you might end up enjoying showing your collection. And I could show my large train layout. Children love watching trains. Oh, thank God it's only children that enjoy trains. I, I'm sorry. You're right, Francis. Anything that moves will attract a lot of attention. I could put together my line following R2-D2 robot. It could drive around the floor. I have a few good space scenes. It might cover uh, two or three tables. I'm so looking forward to seeing that. I love the classic space. I recently ordered the Galaxy Explorer on Bricklink. I have one too. Oh, uh, me too. Lucia, what would you like to exhibit? I could probably fill a table or two with my architecture sets and a few mocks. Oh, that would be awesome. We probably still need to find more AFLs. Maybe you know of a couple more? I know a handful of people I could ask. That would be great. So, are we going to have a show? Most of them nodded, but Peter and Lucia looked nervous. My excitement completely took over my heart. Great. I will find a good room for us tomorrow. We have about half a year to get it done. Should be possible. A vibration in my pocket demanded attention. I took it out, and while the others continued to discuss their collections, I read the message from Marky. When are you coming home? I wish never. Almost done. The spirit in the room was high, but I could no longer join their enthusiasm. The impending encounter with Marky already made my stomach growl. I felt like a mega-block amongst these true Lego fans. I'm sorry, Francis, I have to leave. Oh, all right. Is everything okay? Not really. My wife. Let me show you out. Is your wife okay? I think she hates me having fun with Lego. That's not uncommon, but it's usually not the brick. Maybe she wants more of your attention. Well, I think so too. But when I'm with her, she complains about me. That's tough. Maybe you should go and see a counsellor. Yeah, I guess so. See, well, Lego is one of the few joys in my life, and she's still trying to kill it. I don't know what I did to her. Maybe it's not you. Maybe she's just unhappy with herself. But isn't it my duty to make her happy? I am her husband. There is only so much you can do. I feel like I've already bent my soul for her. She hates my parents and dislikes her own parents. I had to give up so much to please her. But then again, she says she did the same for me. And did she? Well, her life certainly changed as well, but both with the children and with her moving away from Japan. Is she happy here? I thought she would be, and there was an improvement when we arrived, but now we're back to where we left off. Problems have a nasty habit of travelling with you. There is no escape. Well, I'd better get on my way. Take care of yourself, Rob. And 
May the brick be with you. Good night, Francis. When I arrived home, I noticed a light shining from Maki's door. She must still be awake. I put the bike in the garage and, when taking off my shoes and jacket, I grunted a short good night at the direction of her door. There was no reply, and I was grateful for being spared. I got myself ready for bed, but could not stop thinking about whether there could be such a thing as a true and ideal order, or whether the quality of an order can only be determined by its usage. In the latter case, the order would be ever-changing and relative to the humans using it. If the order was truly ideal, then it would be fixed and eternal. I put on my favourite audiobook again while my thoughts were still circling around the true and ideal order. I listened to the narrator pronouncing Persig's ideas. To do this, Plato says that immortal truth is not just change. As the followers of Heraclitus said, it is not just changeless being, as the followers of Parmenides said. Both these immortal truths coexist as ideas which are changeless and appearance which changes. This is why Plato finds it necessary to separate, for example, hoarseness from horse and say that hoarseness is real and fixed and true and unmoving while the horse is a mere unimportant transitory phenomenon. Horseness is a pure idea. The horse that one sees is a collection of changing appearances, a horse that can flux and move around all it wants to, and even die on the spot without disturbing hoarseness, which is the immortal principle and can go on forever in the path of the gods of old. A comforting thought. There can be an ideal order for the bricks and there can be the concrete changing appearance of an order. Both can coexist. I don't need to make a choice. My body sank a bit deeper into the bed and it took only a few more moments for me to follow my mind into the eternal blackness of sleep. Thursday. The canteen was not good, but not bad either. Once in a fortnight I felt the need to indulge myself in all the unhealthy options the canteen had to offer. The domestic academics would sit here more often, but it was a surprise for me to encounter Professor Smith slurping a soup by himself. Lunch and entertainment. I am lucky today. Oh, Professor Dr. Park, how nice of you to stalk me here. <laughs> There's no escape from me. I have noticed. Uh, how's life treating you? I met with Francis and some other friends yesterday to talk about starting a Lego show. You get together for the first time and immediately decide to show off your jewels. Why am I not surprised? We are young and need the money. Why don't you do some proper work instead? <laughs> like reading and writing papers. That can hardly be considered proper and most certainly not work. Talking about indecent behaviour, I read a book about the old Greeks last night. Not that drunken Epicurious. No, I went pre-Socratic. <laughs> now I am curious. Although, prior to Socrates, we had two schools of thought that both upheld the existence of the eternal truth. Heraclitus and his followers believed that the truth is that everything in the world is changing. Plato is often cited as describing Heraclitus's doctrine of change 
as you cannot step into the same river twice. I already told you that before. Well, I know, but allow me to put his idea into another context. The other school of thought was founded by Parmenides, who claimed the exact opposite of Heraclitus. All change is just an illusion. Nothing ever really changes. This is indeed the conflict that Socrates, or shall we say Plato, resolved. He distinguished between the changing appearance and the eternal ideas. Exactly. There is an eternal idea of horses that never changes, and the particular appearance of a horse that can change. No, this is all very interesting, and I'm, I'm happy to engage in this discourse, but what is it to do with uh, your sorting problem? I was torn apart between the conviction that an ideal order exists and the realisation that the quality of the sorting would depend on the relative whims of its users. So? I came to the conclusion that these two are not mutually exclusive. Following Plato, there can be an absolute and unchanging ideal order and a concrete appearance of such an order. They don't need to be identical. That must be a relief for you. It certainly is. I can happily continue searching for an ideal order while still making the best of what options are available to me. Since you're probably the sole user of the brick collection, the sorting order will be done according to your whims? Why would I care about other people's order? Well, you might want to talk to them about your bricks. This requires not only a taxonomy, but also a nomenclature. Have you figured one out yet? I'm afraid I missed that detail. Could I use the branches of the tree to give a brick its name? Yes and no. Linnaeus used only the last two branches to name all the living things. If he'd used a word from every level of his taxonomy, then the names would have become so long that they would have been impossible to use in a conversation. So I need to define names? I would recommend using the nomenclature of Bricklink. That way, you can be reasonably certain that other AFOLs will understand you. Naturally. It does actually feel good to create an order. I can transform the mess into an order in which it ought to be. It's an old and deep satisfaction that I get from tidying up. Makes the collection and my life habitable. Messiness is a disruption. Talking about a mess, you are planning to apply for a promotion soon, aren't you? I have my annual talk with my group leader next week. Do you see that guy over there next to Adam? Yes. The Innovation Process and Business Group has just hired him as an associate professor. So? His CV is online and you can check his list of publications on Google Scholar and Scopus. His name is Brett Kramer. There are several Brett Kramers, but only one in that research field. But that can't be him, since he has hardly any publications or citations. He would never meet the promotion criteria. He matched the one criterion that mattered. Which is? He's good friends with Adam. I don't get it. There are much more qualified researchers in our department waiting for a promotion. Why do they demand that we fulfil the promotion criteria when they hire whomever they want at any level they want? Oh, Rob, you are so naive. That's exactly the point. It's the most brilliant move I've seen so far. What's so brilliant about it? With the promotion criteria, they give everybody the illusion that if they fulfil them, they will get a promotion. So, the academics work extremely hard to meet those unrealistically high demands. As a matter of fact, the criteria have enough ambiguity in them that they will always find a stick to beat you with. But why would they want to do that? 
they were already at the top of the hierarchy. If everybody became professors, then nobody is a professor. Their status is defined by denying it to the others. So why did Adam make Brett an associate professor? Because he can. He has to demonstrate that if you serve him loyally, then you get a promotion. That sounds very much like the Mafia. <laughs> oh, it is. Alexandra Afonso has already written an essay on how academia resembles a drug gang. What? I'm not joking. The essay is based on the work of the economist Stephen Levitt and sociologist Sudhir Vinkovist. They analyse the internal wage structure of a drug gang, which is extremely skewed in favour of the leaders. Even working at McDonald's would be more beneficial than exposing yourself to the occupational risks of being a street dealer. Does that sound familiar? Well, the chances of getting shot at the university is rather low, but the low income for the postgraduate students, the immense job insecurity for the postdocs, and the insane workload for the tenure track staff is indeed, how should I put this, threatening. You only find out if you have a career in academia once you're around 40. It's a very much a become a professor or die trying type of process. Yet neither drug gangs nor academia have trouble recruiting new staff. That's true. For every position that's advertised, we get hundreds of applications. So you have an ever-increasing number of lower-level workers who forego income and security for future wealth, and a small group at the top that has all the privileges and powers. This is considered a winner-takes-all market. But this is also the result of how universities are being funded. We increasingly only get money for research projects that last for a year or two. Once the project is over, there is no more funding for those people. Still, the university could offer permanent contracts and let them work on consecutive projects. There is a continuous flow of projects coming in. Why don't they? Because they can offload the risk onto the lower levels. Because we are like the Mafia? Later that day we had our usual dinner procedure. Marky had prepared dinner and the kids were half eating, half playing around. Sit down on your chair, Camellia. We are not finished with dinner yet. That also applies to you, Poppy. It's impolite. Oh, you can both leave. You don't need to wait for me. Don't make such a face. Marky, you shouldn't do this. Do what? If I ask them to do something, then you need to support me. You're interfering with my attempts to raise the children. If you disagree about their table manners, then we need to talk about it. But not in front of the children. Interfering with your rules? Yes, you are. And you undermine my authority. I can't tell the girls anything because you tell them the opposite. So what? When you're out, we do it my way anyway. Look, Marky, this... Don't Marky me. How am I supposed to address you? Don't lecture me! Oh, lecture? If only you were listening. Barker! This goes here. This there. The professor is controlling the dishwasher again. I'm just making sure that everything fits in there. It doesn't matter. If it doesn't fit, then we run it again. But that's inefficient. I don't care. You're so obsessed with order. Why can't you let it go? Poppy and Camellia came back into the dinner area, sitting on their seats. They held each other's hands and stared at their parents. Let what go? Making sure this family and this household works. It works fine, except for you. You are mentally sick. You should go to a therapist and have your head checked. 
Poppy put her fingers in her ears. I'm what? What makes you think that? I actually read an article about obsessive-compulsive disorder, and I think it is a pretty clear case. I found a questionnaire where you can test yourself. I might like order, but I am not sick. You just don't understand the difference between a true mental illness and personality tendencies. Oh, here we go again. Professor Park, another lecture. I'm just trying to explain to you that... Shut up! You want to fight, do you? Let me go! We can do that! You can hit me and I can hit you back! And that will hurt. I am fed up with this. I will kick you out. I will not tolerate this any longer. You will not hit me again. You are going now. I didn't want to hit you. Bullshit. I pushed her forwards in the direction of the front door. She let herself sink to the ground, but I didn't let go of her hands. I turned around and dragged her across the floor behind me. The children were crying in terror. Out! Out you go! I didn't hit you! Go away! Go away! Let me in! Fucker! Every beat on the door vibrated in my chest. The silence that followed sparked my fear. I held my breath. Why did she stop? I peeked around the door in time to see Marky disappear through the garden gate. The back doors. The children. I ran back into the dining room and took both girls into my arms. I could already see Marky through the kitchen window. Everything will be all right. It'll be okay. I carried the girls with their heads pressed against my chest so they could not see Marky. But I could not block her yelling and both girls cried out loud. Mummy! Mummy! I ran into the only room in the house that did not have a window. The walk-in closet in Marky's room. I switched on the light and closed the door behind us. I sat down on the floor with both girls in my arms. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. Everything will be all right. I promise. I'm scared, Daddy. I want Mummy. You you, you can't go there now. I'm sorry. Mummy is very angry. I could only hold on to the girls and provide them with protection. But it was really me who needed them to not lose it all. What are we doing? We shouldn't fight like this in front of the children. I should not use physical force. This will damage them for life. How can I ever make this up? I've ruined our marriage. I've ruined the future of the girls. It's all gone. It's, it's all right, I'm, I'm sorry. What's gonna happen? I don't know, but we'll figure it out. What was that, Daddy? I don't know. You girls stay here. You're safe here. I'll have a look. Don't leave us. It's okay. I will have a quick look and then come right back. I got up and the girls squeezed into the corner of the closet, holding each other in their arms. I kept the door open a little bit and walked into the corridor. I looked into the room and found a wooden log on the floor. Marky's hand reached through the broken glass door, trying to operate the handle without cutting herself. What are you looking at? You can't keep me away from my children. What did you do? What does it look like? Marky, be careful. You're going to cut your wrists. Then open the door! We need to clean this up. The girls might hurt themselves. I will call the glass repairman again. While Marky called the number, I returned to the girls. Uh, Mummy and Daddy need to talk a little bit. Can you please go to your room and play for a little bit? What was that sound? Where's Mummy? 
Mummy broke the glass of the side door with a log and she's now calling the repairman. Can we talk to her now? Of course. They rushed out of the room, still holding hands. I'm sorry, girls. I'm so sorry. I was scared. Me too. It's all right. Mummy and Daddy will work it out. Can you play a little bit by yourselves? Okay. Is the repair guy coming? He's busy, and it might take him two or three hours to come here. Shall we talk? I'm sorry, Rob. I wasn't trying to hit you. Of course you were. You raised your fists and came at me. But even if I did hit you, it wouldn't hurt. It doesn't matter. You can't hit me. You see, I used to get angry at my last boyfriend. I hit him as well, and he used to take me into his arms. He held me while I was trying to hit him. In that very moment, I felt truly loved. I can't do that. I'm sorry, but I don't have the capacity to embrace you when you're trying to hit me. You must really hate me if you get that angry. You want to physically hurt me, Marky? I don't know. I just felt so angry. I get angry too, but then I usually leave. And that drives me crazy. Marky, what do you want? What do you mean? What do you want from our relationship? Be happy. And are you happy? No, I am miserable. Well, we can work on that, but you need to know what it is you want. Maybe I need a break from this relationship. Maybe we can spend some time apart. You could move out for a while. I don't do halfways. Either we do it or we don't. I am not going to have one of those on-off type relationships. So tell me, what do you want? What do you want, Marky? Maybe it is time for a new direction. What do you mean? We should separate. At least for a while. My face froze. I could no longer move. The house crumbled in front of me. But but then everything we've worked for, everything we did will fall apart. This house, our family, our future. I'm sorry, this is, this is too much for me. I need to digest this. It's time to go to bed, girls. Can you please help us tonight and get ready quickly? Yes, Daddy. C- come on, Poppy, let's put on our pyjamas. The girls prepared themselves for the night and I stayed with them. Marky kissed them goodnight before returning to her own room. I kept my door open so that I could hear the girls. I should have felt angry or sad or anything but nothing could fill my profound emptiness. My skin marked the border between the world and me, but this hull was all there was, a fragile layer that I called myself. I fell asleep quickly, but woke up again at 2am. My thoughts kept spinning and no rest seemed attainable. I put on an audio book, but even this would not overwrite my own pondering. A visit to the bathroom offered a small relief, but... Not enough to kiss the Prince of Slumber. I got up at 6am and, to my surprise, Marky entered the kitchen not much later. We were in the same room, only inches apart, but I have never felt further away from her. Morning. Good morning. Did you get any sleep? Not too much. Listen, I, I don't think we should rush into a decision. Too much depends on it. I went down on my knees and put my forehead on the floor. 
I am sorry, Marky. I am deeply sorry for not being a good husband. Get up, Rob. You don't have to play this trick on me. It didn't work when I tried it on you, remember? I'm sorry. I, I didn't understand this gesture back then and apparently I'm doing wrong right now. But what I said is true. I need to think about it. 